Um, happy Fourth of July. Uh, with that, we got kids in the house, first through third graders. Where y'all at? Y'all see me? I see y'all. I want to tell you guys that I know it's way more fun for y'all to be up the hill, but I want you to hear all of us say that we love when y'all are in here with us, and y'all mean a lot to us. Y'all are really special to us. Uh, so I know y'all might be in the, the coloring zone and not listen to anything, and, and I understand. But uh, really glad that y'all are here and just encourage us as a church family to make our kids feel special and valued as we learn from them um, in God's house. I uh, want to tell you one more thing before we get started. I told y'all last week, but if you weren't here, I want to be sure to catch you up. We really are trying to keep our church family in God's Word together this year. Um, so we put out this reading plan for just kind of a help and a tool and I told y'all we have Gail Herring. She's our administrative coordinator. It's her title. She works part-time for us. She's incredible at doing all things you know, for our church, especially things like this. So she had carpal tunnel surgery like on her arm and into her shoulder, all this stuff. And I was like, Gail, I'm going to take care of these cards. I'm going to get them printed. So uh, I made them say June instead of July. And I'm way too cheap, and y'all are way too faithful at giving for a reprint. So it's going to be okay. It's red, white, and blue. Y'all know it's July. But they're on your way out if you didn't get them last week to take you through July. So just wanted to tell y'all the June card is actually July, uh, just as a, an aid to help kind of keep some of us that would um, in God's Word uh, together throughout this year. So uh, today will be kind of short with kids in mind, I know. And I want to tell you again, like I'm a dad, got three in this first through third grade age so I get it. If your kids make noise and talk, like it's just not a big deal for me whatsoever. I want you to relax and feel okay in that. Uh, I'm going to be try to be short in, in mindfulness of that. At the same time, it's, it's not light either. Um, fully expect to introduce some thoughts in this chapter that you might get hung up in. Uh, maybe even on the front end, be like, I, yeah, I need to. I want to know more about that or talk more about that. Um, so I pray that you'd reach out and talk to us. Uh, some of these are some deep things about grieving, mourning, about loss, and uh, would pray that uh, this might lead us into some, some conversations like in, in a shepherding context, one-on-one -on -one with some of us throughout the week. That's what we're here for and want to interact with you in that if, you, if anything catches you um, kind of in this time. And just to be honest, this chapter 23, it's Sarah. We've been going through Genesis as a church if you're a guest with us today. So we come up on this chapter, and way back when, in kind of the overview in our planning phase, I was about to skip this or kind of toss it in with something else. You just thought, okay, Sarah dies, you know, whatever, we're going to move on to the next thing. And this week, uh, some things in here just really grabbed hold of me, and I'm really excited for our time. And to kind of catch you up, last week we had a Troy Kids service. So all the kids were in here. And we did a recap. We, the kids helped us do that. We celebrated all the places we've been in Genesis so far, and we looked at three kind of big pillars. We looked at creation, the fact that a, a good God created a very good and awesome creation to interact with us in and to glorify himself through. But we talked about the hard reality of the fall, that the fall definitely is a thing. It's touched and affected absolutely everything from the point that it happened through us today in a, in a very sad, felt, real way. And we talked about, despite that, God's promise coming in to bring about fixing and redemption and change and all that. And yeah, I think one of the biggest things of last week, and George walked us through it very well, 
just that reality of the fall kind of just being a pinnacle of, of where we've been so far. We've seen it throughout Genesis. You've seen it get really bad really fast from that moment that Adam and Eve distrusted God's goodness and provision. We saw the whole thing really fall apart. And if we don't agree on anything else today, I think we can come in today with a look around our setting, maybe really far out into current events and context or really close, even just things that go on in our households and in us. And we can agree on the fact that that something's not right, that, that things are broken, um, and, and that, that is a thing. We observe tragedy, we feel division, we see sickness, we see death, loss, even the little annoying things of just day-to-day life of things that break and don't work, annoyance of sin struggles, and all of those things. I want to ask you going into this, this chapter today, how sure are you of God's activity in the midst of all that stuff? How convinced are you? I know we know to say that, that God is sovereign and good and he's active and he's doing stuff, but how sure are you? How, how much do you believe that God is really actively good in the midst of all kind of messed up stuff that we see here feel near and far to us and kind of want to ask God to meet us in that space and show us a lot of things about himself, namely that he is actively good despite the fall, despite all things broken that we see. So despite the fall that God is still good, I pray that we would know and believe that, be able to respond to that after we get done today. So we see death in Genesis 23. We see a death. We lose Sarah, and it's sad, even though she's 127 years old. She lived a great life, apparently a a fox all the way throughout, all her years, too. Even though she has lived this this full, great life and starting to see a lot of the promises of God come to fruition, it's sad. And we'll see Abraham process this grief and this loss, and we'll see God work. And not in a cookie-cutter, transferable way, but I hope we'd observe the process that Abraham walks into. And I want to invite you into perhaps some of these things, depending on where you're at and what you got going on. with an expanded understanding of grief, the fact that there's a lot more things going on in our life besides losing people we love that warrant grief. Some acknowledgement of, hey, this is bad, this is sad. You lost someone, lost something, made a big mistake, suffered someone else's big mistake, or even the little annoyances of our life, you overslept or someone left you out, little stuff that maybe God in this, through this narrative, would get us unstuck and are grieving something or dealing with something hard, maybe prepare you for future dealings with something hard, maybe prepare you to help somebody going through a grief process. But most importantly for all of us, cause some worship and and wonder at a God that can be good and actively good in the midst of stuff that's broken. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to look at Abraham's kind of movements through this loss of Sarah Uh, We're going to look at four things. We're going to see Abraham weep first. Second, we're going to see Abraham rise up. Third, we're going to see Abraham work. And fourth, we're going to see Abraham bury. Um, So let's pray and do that. God, convince us of your sovereignty and goodness despite hard things that we encounter near and far. God, if we see it nowhere else, help us see it at the cross through your Son. Help us be humbly confident in your presence with us through him.
ask you to be here now and help us to hear and understand through people and land and context that's far from us. We ask you to help us. We come dependent on it. We come in Jesus. Amen. All right, first thing we're going to see, Abraham weep. Uh, we, we heard Miles read this, that Sarah's 127 years old. They're in the land of Canaan. She passes away, and verse 2, And Sarah died in the land of Canaan. Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. So we're not positive of how long this mourning process lasts or exactly what it looked like, but we know that Abraham stopped and wept and mourned for Sarah in this moment. There's no funeral home to call in this day. There's not a plan, but before Abraham goes into hyperactive mode of I got to see about this and get all this squared away, there comes mourning and stopping and weeping. And it's basically Abraham going, hey, I love my wife. She's not here. I miss my wife. I'm sad and maybe mad. I'm lonely. My wife is dead. And Abraham is stopping and taking some time to square up with you know, what's going on and what he thinks and feels about it. And he's, he's sitting there. He's sitting there kind of in the grief for a moment before he rushes into activity. So, you know, what would that look like for Abraham? Again, we're not really told, but looking elsewhere in this day and time, we can look at Job and see a guy weeping in Job. We see him, you know, put on scratchy clothes and sit in ashes, kind of, you know, put into feeling what's going on inside of him. We see that throughout the Old Testament a lot, kind of mourning sackcloth and ashes you might have heard before. Um, we get to read about Old Testament mourning and Lamentations. Lamentations 2.10, it talks about crying from the bowels, like crying so hard that you're throwing up. Um, we look at the life of Jesus. We see him weep under, over Jerusalem at a point. We see him cry at the death of Lazarus. We see him go off in some solitude and prayer processing when we lose John the Baptist. Abraham probably had you know, some or all of these things going on as he's going in to weep and mourn for Sarah. And these things aren't fun things to do. You know, mourning is not fun. It's not pleasant. And we are tempted, especially today, have plenty of distractions to skip it. And it, it hurts us in the process. I you know, went to school here at Troy. I came right back to Troy in 2012. And what I did to eat and live during that time is work for a guy that built, uh, did construction and managed rental properties. So one of my least favorite things to do was to flip a rental property, like get it ready for the next person. Because you go into the door after somebody leaves, there ain't no telling what you're about to find in that place. So uh, what I was led to do is get some scrubbing bubbles for 09 and just basically go in and spray everything and leave and like let it sit for a long time. And it'd be so tempting for me in a hurry or whatever to spray it and immediately go to work and not let the stuff sit. And you know, it would not come clean. The stuff would not come off. You know, I had to let it sit. I had to let it soak to tap into the power of what's going on to kind of resolve the situation. When we rush the a grief or mourning process and refuse to acknowledge the reality of what's there, we're missing out on a very real power of God to meet us as we sit in some moments of grief. And we see Abraham, again, before he rushes off to deal with this problem, he, he sits and he mourns and he weeps for Sarah. A great book on this called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Uh, Mark Rogup talks about lamenting or prayers of lament. So he calls lament a prayer of pain that leads to trust, where Christians affirm the world is broken, but God is powerful, and he will be faithful 
Therefore, lament stands in the gap between pain and promise. So lament is looking at what's going on, a loss or a bad situation, being like, this is bad. Looking over here and seeing God as sovereign, good, merciful, in control. Seeing this huge gap in between, like the gap between me and y'all right now in this space. And uh, lament being an acknowledgement that both those things are true at, one, at the same time and somehow God is, is active and sovereign in all the things he is despite what we're sitting in. When we skip the process of lament and grief, we miss out on so much. It's almost like when we went through the Gospel of John, we saw people miss Jesus, and a lot of those people were not willing to square up with how messed up they were or how sinful they are, despite how they looked outward and outward appearance, and they missed the power of Jesus. In the same way, when we refuse to call broken, broken, and look at the mess of a situation and feel and think them as we are, we miss the power of grace and grace of Jesus to meet us there in that acknowledgement of grief, refusal to grieve, it's, it's bad theology. It almost affirms that the world is fine and God is failing if stuff is falling apart. When we read in Romans 8, 28, Paul talk about the creation groaning, being like, hey, we're so ready for God to come and, and fix. Our God would, would meet us in that. When we see Jesus weep at Lazarus' tomb, he knows he's about to bring Lazarus back from the grave, but Jesus is affirming, like, hey, this death stuff is sad. It's not how things are supposed to be. Jesus agreeing with the hardness of that. So us, maybe out of a sense of responsibility, like, hey, I got to be strong and, like, hold it together for my family or for whatever's going on as we're grieving something hard. Maybe out of some spiritual abuse where somehow in some church background you were told, like, hey, there's no crying in faith. Like, suck it up and move on. Everything's going to be fine. May we see Jesus weep. Like, we're led by Jesus that, that cries, and we need to be prepared to weep and weep with as God, who is good despite the fall, meets us in, in grief. So I invite us, some of us might need to, to grieve something, maybe something huge and hard, maybe something little. Call whatever it is what it is and feel it and think it. I think a lot of us may be struggling with sins or vices. You know, a, a lot of what's missing in our process is to be like, God, I, I want to do this even though I know it's death and, and not what you have for me, and I, I want to do it. Like, and it's so frustrating for me, calling it what it is and, and grieving that puts you in a posture of dependence on Jesus. Some of us are, are missing the grief process or rushing the grief process. Wants to see Abraham weep, Abraham grieve. So second thing we see, Abraham get up. So look in verse 3. Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I'm a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place. I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord, you're a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our tombs. None of us will, will, will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. So we see Abraham rising up. So the visual of, is, is him with the body of Sarah. He's taking in the reality. He's weeping. He's lamenting. And then there's a transition. It doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean there's not any more sorrow anymore. But we see the posture be different. So we see Abraham square up with the problem at hand. He's a nomad. Like he's passing through. He doesn't live here. You know, he's in an RV caravan. He has no land in a time where as a stranger you could not purchase land in a land that's not your own. And a wife that he's lost that he loves 
needs a gravesite, needs to be buried. But he, you know, he can't stay in this place of weeping. He has to rise up and, and see about the situation. But I want you to see what he does. He doesn't try to do this alone or go in this grief-induced, panicky, kind of reactive, hyperactive state. What does he do? He asks for help. He goes and asks for help. He looks at the local people for some help, people that you know, do not worship his God, that he does not know. And this scary, kind of humbling, just approach of asking for help. He, he sees where he's at. He goes to the local people, the Hittites. He goes, hey, I'm a stranger. I'm passing through. I got no options. I'm hurting. I just lost my wife. I can't watch her you know, not be buried. And they agree to help. And we see Abraham embrace this help. Verse 7, him bowing down as rich and as mighty and powerful as successful as he's been and kind of roaming this land, following God's promises and will. He, he, he bows in humble thanks to these people. When we sit in moments of difficulty and grief, we tend to do one of two things. We either skip the grief and run straight into hyperactivity, or we grieve, but in pride or fear or both, we wallow there for weeks, months, years alone. Our grieving process might start in solitude, but it can't stay there. It can't stay. We must acknowledge, like Abraham, like, hey, I'm a stranger. I got no options. I'm sad. I need some help. I need some help from someone that's been here. I need help from a, a local. So maybe it's a relationship struggle, financial struggle, tragic loss, illness, you know, disorder. The beauty of having a church family is that they're in-house locals from all of these areas of struggle that have been there. And we can't do this alone. I want you to think about how we're even brought into the kingdom, brought into Christ, and Him bringing our spiritually dead selves to life. He allows us to see our state. And that state being, hey, I'm a stranger. I'm dead. I need to get back to God's presence where I was intended to live and dwell. I need to talk to somebody that's a, a local. Jesus. That's come from the Father to to call us back. The reality that we can rise up humbly confident of God's activity, even in broken things. We see Abraham get up. Third thing, we see Abraham work. So we see Abraham enter into some negotiations. He's grieving. He gets up to deal with this situation, and now we see him interact with these local people over this burial place. And so he needs somewhere to bury Sarah. He's humbled himself and asked, and he's received some help and in this place, we see Abraham get real detailed. So he has a specific place in mind. And some think maybe this is you know, one of the places where Abraham might have had an encounter with God at some point that we read about in the past few chapters. But Abraham says, hey, can, you know, I know this guy that has this cave and a field, great spot. Can y'all please go ask him if I can you know, buy his place from him? Can y'all do that? And the guy's right there in the presence. So they're probably at the city gates where business takes place and this conversation's going on. And the guy and Abraham have this conversation, maybe like two rich people out at lunch, like arguing over the tab. They're like, hey, what's no big deal between us? Like, I'm rich, you're rich, like, no big deal. Like, please take this, you can have it. And maybe like somebody that's tried to insist you borrow something before and, and you want to, you don't want to borrow it, you want to own it. We see Abraham be like, no, I'm. I want to buy this from you. Like, name your price. So we see the guy kind of uh, nonchalantly throw out a price. We see Abraham drop the papers, pay the money, have it weighed out, insisting that he pay for this land. And there's a, a legal finality to this deal. It's recorded. This is a closing. 
there's a real estate closing that happens here at the end of this conversation. And we see Abraham on the field and the cave and having a place to bear us there. I don't know what Abraham was thinking in this moment, exactly what was going on in head and heart, but this is what just happened. I want you to clue back into this. God had promised years and years ago when Abraham was a young man of 75 years old, when all this started, and God called Abraham and Sarah to, hey, I'm going to take you somewhere, and I'm going to give you a land, and I'm going to form a people out of you. It's going to be yours. The hang-up so far for them has been, this land's already occupied, full of a ton of scary pagan nations. Other people live here. And in a time where a foreigner would have no rights to buy land or purchase land, no matter how wealthy they are, Abraham through the death loss of a wife that he loves, now holds the deed to his first legitimate holding of this promised land that God had called him to, that God had promised him. So I want you to see the two things that are going on here. This is Abraham moving all over the place, roaming from place to place in a time where locality of your family gravesite is really important. This is Abraham saying, I know God's going to do what he promised me, so much so that I'm going to put my wife in this place. Despite how far or how many things have to happen before this land is mine, I'm burying my wife here. And even more so, we see God bring about some fruition to his promise through the death of Sarah. God bringing, back, bringing about a fulfillment of his promise to give this land to Abraham through the death of his wife. And in that, our God being really, really good at doing some really, really awesome things in the midst of things that seem broken and dead and seemingly detached from his activity and presence completely. If we don't grasp that anywhere else ever or don't believe that, may we start at least with the cross. 2,000 years from this narrative going on in Genesis 23, we'll see another death and burial of Jesus, and we'll see God through that death see about his wrath and our sin and seal us into the promised land of his presence forever. God is really good about being actively good through things that seem really far from his activity and presence. Despite the fall, God is actively good. And all the things, big things and small things, they are so mattering and so on the table for God to be active, actively good in. So talk to him, talk to people, pay attention. Despite the fall, God is actively good. We see Abraham walk in the fruition of God's promises in the wake of this loss. Last thing, Abraham buries Sarah. So at the very end of this chapter, we see Abraham, you know, owning the field and the cave legitimately, you know, take Sarah, bury Sarah in this place. So lastly, in the wake of God's provision in this deal, we see Abraham bury Sarah. Especially those of you who have experienced loss closely, you know that the, bury, the burial of somebody we love may be at the same time the kind of the beginning of a grief process for us, but also a very, very important mark of closure. You know, it's a, a physical, real letting go of someone from interaction and life on this earth and view that they're not here anymore and acceptance that they're not here anymore. For the Christian acknowledgement of someone being absent from their body, home with Jesus, that that body will only be relevant in the last days during the resurrection. But in essence, though, this is a, a release of a person to a realm that's not ours and that we're still here 
to press on day by day, grieving, missing, but living because we're here living in view of God. And we'll see Abraham the next chapter when we get to it in chapter 24. We'll see him press on into this promise, into this calling that God's called him into, and God working out this promise, even though he's only got to really see act one of this promise. So we're weeping, we're getting up, we're engaging, and in time, at a point, there's a burial. There's a, a release of things beyond ourselves and, and trust of God's activity despite him seeming so far, trusting that our God brings new things from death, that God brings resurrection from death. Jesus died indeed, and he had to because we require it to be right with God. But he is risen indeed, and we stake everything on that reality. And yeah, I'm talking about this in view of people that we love and lose, but it applies to so much more that I think God might call us to grieve as we look at things close to us and, again, things outside of us in our surroundings. Maybe memories, regrets, grudges, habits, insecurities, just hard realities we see might be time to grieve and engage so that they can be buried for new realities seeing that our God is a God who is so good at, at bringing good through hard, bad, and sad. And this God that brings a piece of the promised land into Abraham's hands through death would further his work in us and Christ through all the things. And may we pay attention to his activity in those things. So I'm going to pray and we're going to sing in response. Again, hopefully wonder in the reality and truth that God can do things like further his kingdom, bring about his work inside of us and through us, even through things that look like ends, look like losses, look like setbacks, and invite you to consider so many things. Again, maybe big things, big you know, milestone events in your life of loss and hardship, but again, even little things, little struggles that we encounter every single day to grieve and acknowledge what they are and expose them to the power and presence of a God that brings about goodness and, and fruition to his promises, even through situations like that. Let's pray.